Greetings to each one in Jesus' name. You would think after preaching a week of revivals, this would be old hat, but they tend to take something out of you, I realized. So last week, I, I really appreciated all your prayers, all the words of encouragement, uh, people calling and saying they were praying. Uh, it meant a lot. I could feel it. Um, and yet it wasn't like this sermon wasn't without work. And I have a desire to portray God's word, most of all, in truth, and then to portray it in a way that we can understand it and apply it to our own lives. Because so often I hear it and, and I'm like, how can I make that apply? How can I make that real? And I don't know that I accomplished my goal this morning. And it seems like God and I were wrestling. I was going one direction and he wanted to take it another one. And after I finally let go, it went a little better. Um, and so I'm just going to share what God laid on my heart. I will give Floyd the opportunity to think about this afterwards. <laughs> he come, I, I was hard on the, on the church here a while and said, well, you know, I want you to be doing this. And, and that was in the aspect of prayer. We can all work on prayer. And I, I would appreciate if we continue to work on growing closer to God and praying more like we ought. But some of this, if we just could, could think through these things and, and help them, because I'm still learning, I'm still growing, I'm still thinking on what I'm presenting to you. So if you would meditate on it and then come to back to me with further ideas, I think we can grow together. And I've been having fun doing this with a couple of my, my friends in the valley. We've been tossing ideas back and forth. And I think it's helped me to grow and see things in a, in a new way. And I believe it's been helpful. The, the title of this morning's message is Walk in the Light. Turn with me to Genesis 2.15. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a help meet. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I think it's important to look at God's ideals for mankind and then we can look at our own lives and see how far we've strayed from God's ideals. Because I, I think we've went a little ways away. The reason I believe this is important is so that we can strive to aim toward what God intended mankind to be and how God intended mankind to live. Do we even know what living looks like? Do we know what living looks like? I hope so, but let's dive into it a little bit. So Jerry Clower shared a story about this, this man who lived in Texas, a very wealthy man. He drove around in his Cadillac, shiny black Cadillac. He was so rich, in fact, that he got his front windshield ground to his prescription so that he wouldn't have to wear his glasses when he drove around. And, and so as he, was, he would drive around, he owned thousands of acres, had several hired men, and he was, he was very well-to-do. Well, to make a long story short, that individual passed away. He died, but in his will, he had a request, and his request was that he would be embalmed and that he would be buried in his Cadillac. And so on the day of the funeral, they, they um, had everything just like he wanted, had him propped up behind the steering wheel in his best suit, and his, the Cadillac had been shined. It was shiny black. And as they were lowering the Cadillac into the grave, one of his hired men said, now that's really living. Now, we thought, well, 
How stupid is that? But how many of us think we're really living and we're dead? Okay, hear me out. 2 Timothy 3.1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, hind-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. All these things are symptoms of men and women who are dead in trespasses and sins. Let's make it, let's turn it into plain English. Lovers of their own selves, that's pretty plain, right? Proud, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, promise breakers, without self-control, rash, self-conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It sounds a lot like the world we live in. But more than that, it sounds like it might even be able to come into our church. Is that possible? I hear a lot of the teaching of self-worth and positive thinking. Have you heard that recently? It's being promoted. Self-worth and positive thinking. Well, I wanted to give you something positive to think about. Our worth has nothing to do with self. Okay? Our worth has nothing to do with self. If anything, self devalues us. If anything, our self devalues us. It, our worth comes from being a child of God. That's where our worth lies. Now, also, our worth is God sent his only begotten son into the world while we were yet sinners. So God felt like you were worth him sacrificing his only begotten son. Well, that's a lot of worth, isn't it? What more worth do we need than that? That God would send Jesus Christ down to earth just for the chance that you would accept him. You can reject him too. That's your choice. But he was willing to give you that choice. That should make you feel worthy if anything does. It's not about ourselves, but it's about what Christ and what God has done for us. You were created in the image of God. You're special to God. The closer your relationship with Christ is, the less the feelings of lack of worth you will have. Now our true value, I said, comes in being a child of God. And I truly believe that. And think about that aspect when you read John 15. If you go through and read John 15, which talks about the vine, your true value comes in being part of that vine. Because at the end of the day, if we're not part of that vine, it's cast forth and burned. So our true value at the end of the day comes from being a child of God. Where does our focus lie? Is it on God or is it on ourselves? How much of the time do we spend focusing on ourselves? My goals, my dreams, my desires, my feelings, my fears, my needs, my wants, my looks, my weaknesses, etc. And has that time of self-introspection drawn me closer to God or has it by default blinded my eyes to who God wants me to be and who God is? Are we trying to fit into a certain mold that someone else has created for us? What mold is that? The world tries to fit into a certain mold. They're trying to fit into what the styles of the day are, what the trends are, what the fashions are, all these things. They're trying to fit into a certain mold that someone created to them. What mold are we trying to fit into? Is it the image of Christ? Are we trying to fit into a mold to be more like Christ? Ephesians 4.13, it says, Till we all come in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this will never happen in this lifetime. But if we're trying to be conformed into the image of his Son, that is where we need to be. 
that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Have you set your focus on Christ this morning? Something else that I read, and I, I wasn't sure if it's true, and I'm still not fully persuaded, but it was a saying, and I, I, I'm, hear me out. You are, you become what you behold. Is that a true saying? Because it could be scary depending on what you're beholding. You become what you behold. Now, listen to this verse when you think about that. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. If your focus is on Christ and the things of Christ and you're in the Word, and that is your focus, I believe that we will be changed to become more like Christ and less like ourselves. <laughs> we, have to be, we have to have a desire for Christ to be our focus and not ourselves. The second thing we have to do is quit caring about what others think about us. And it has to be in that order. Because if those orders get mixed up and we quit caring what people think about us and our focus is not on Christ, I think there can be some devastating consequences, right? Imagine people that just don't care what people think about them, but they also don't care what Christ thinks about them. Well, that sounds like a rebel, doesn't it? Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Who am I seeking to please this morning? Is it man or is it God? Who am I seeking to please on Monday? Is it man or is it God? I'm not sure if Adam realized he was alone. I tend to think he did. I tend to think that as the animals were coming by, there was a male and a female, and as they were... He got to the end, he named all the animals, and he's like, wait, none of those were suitable companions to me. They all had partners. You know, maybe he knew he was alone. But I also believe that he was doing God's work. God had asked him to do something. He was focused on the task at hand, and he wasn't just discontent. When discontentment comes in our life, it's often when we've quit doing the Lord's work and we're focused on ourselves. And we say, well, what about me? <laughs> uh, do you ever say that? Do you ever look and, well, this person's prospering and that person's being fulfilled and, and that person something else. What about me? Where's my lot in life? Did God forget about me? He, he's helped all these other people with, with their dreams and desires and mine aren't being fulfilled. When you get to the point you think that way, Rest assured, if you trust in God, he has a plan for your life. He has a plan, and it might not be your plan. <laughs> and you might be fighting it like I was fighting this sermon, because God had a different plan. And if we keep fighting it, it's not going to go the way it should go. God has a plan, and he has a goal. Don't fight against it. I also want us to note that there was no aspect of shame in the garden at this point. It's, I had originally wrote in the, my notes, the man and her, his woman, the man and the woman were not ashamed, but that's not what the Bible said. It says the man and his wife. There was no reason to be ashamed. God had joined them together in a holy union, and what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. But sometimes we get God's order mixed up, and we join things that should not be joined, and we come together before it's God's time. But let's remember that what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. I feel it's also important to understand where shame comes from, because shame and the fear of man are closely connected. And if we know these things, I think we can help protect ourselves against both of them. Go with me to the next chapter in Genesis there. Genesis 3, chapter 1.
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Let's stop there for a moment. Was it clear to Adam and Eve what they were allowed to do or what they were not allowed to do? Was this clear? I think it was pretty clear. The serpent asked Eve, and catch this. He said, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did you catch that when you read it? Did, did, did he say, ye shall not eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden? Or did he say, ye shall not eat of every tree? Because I think he was doing something a little tricky here. And she said, no, no, wait. He's, God said that we can eat of all the good uh, trees. There's a lot of trees that we can eat of. But the tree that's in the midst of the garden, we can't eat of. And, and then he went on to say, well, you know, God's... He, he gave the impression that God was keeping them from something. That he was hiding some secret knowledge from them, which he was, <laughs> for their own good. Okay. Now, let me try explain this in what I feel is was a little bit what was going on here. Ladies, you're skilled in certain things, and I don't know what your expertise are. Could be gardening, sewing, um, outreach, cake decorating, baking, whatever your skill is. What if someone came to you and then they just asked you the right questions, like, well, how do you make this certain cake? And they already knew you knew how to make that certain cake. And they just fed it on. You know, oh, I, yeah, you do it that way. And you tell them, and it makes you feel important. It makes you feel knowledgeable. And how about us men? If it's welding, if it's um, selling outdoor stoves, if it's uh, poultry farming, what if, everyone, what if someone come up to you and they asked you the right question and you could just explain it perfectly? Well, it makes you feel pretty important. It makes you feel pretty good makes you feel knowledgeable, okay? And Satan wanted to present knowledge to them instead of wisdom. So we have to decipher between what knowledge is and what wisdom is. Have you ever partaken in the forbidden? Well, you know that God, after you have, you know that God forbid it for your own good. Because after you've partaken of the forbidden, you're like, well, that wasn't near as fulfilling as Satan said it was going to be. That uh, didn't bring the pleasure. And even the knowledge of it is not what you expected it to be. Do you think they expected what would happen when their eyes were open? Okay, let's continue reading. Well, let me go to one other place. 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. And this, I think, is the knowledge that the world possesses. Have you ever tried to witness to like a college-educated you know, extremely smart individual, it's a lot more difficult. They need everything proven through fact and scientific evidence, and, and it's harder to prove. And God has come to us simpletons, and, and we accept it in faith. And if we accept it in faith, God's word, there's more divine truths in here than we'll ever realize. We're just barely scratching the surface of what he has given us and what he has protected us from if we would but listen to him. But so often we say, God said this, but I'm going to, and God said, don't do this, 
but I'm going to try it anyway and just see if he was right. Who are we trying to fool? 1 Corinthians 1.26 For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, these things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. He didn't use this world's wisdom. He used the wisdom that he possessed. I read another quote the other day. Curiosity killed the cat, but for a while I was a suspect. But the first part, <laughs> curiosity killed the cat. Far too often, we're curious about something. We want to know. The, the woman... Uh, in Garden of Eden, Eve had a certain amount of curiosity. The tree looked good. The tree, maybe the fruit felt good. It was pleasant to the eyes. A tree to be desired. And that's where it started. Where did, the last time you sinned, where did, it, where did it start? In beholding something? In something that was to be desired? The Bible says... Flee all appearance of evil. And also in Jude, it says that they hated even the garment spotted with the flesh. They didn't even want, you know, I, I said it here before. When we walk through the world, there's a certain amount of filth that we get on us. Just walking through the world. And I think they even hated that. They wanted to be pure and holy before God. The sin in the garden started with a look. And it started with listening to the enemy. When's the last time you listened to the enemy? Maybe it was yesterday. The enemy said, well, this will be fun. This looks good. That person doesn't like you. I don't know, whatever it is, the devil tells you things. Maybe you're putting yourself down. And, and the devil's planting these thoughts in your mind. Were you listening to the enemy? Okay, let's continue reading in Genesis 3, picking up at verse 7. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Okay? Verse 7, several things take place. As soon as they had partaken of the fruit that God had commanded them to not do, immediately they lost their innocence. Okay? They had not... They had feelings they had never experienced before, and not all good. They, they were now dealing with something that mankind had never dealt with before, and that was guilt, right? That was the first time man experienced guilt. Where did that guilt come from? Disobedience to God. They were guilty, and they were also ashamed. Well, why were they ashamed? Well, they, they realized they were undressed, and they thought, well, maybe we should, we should be dressed. Shame is a product of sin. We might ask, then, where does guilt come from? Guilt is a God-given feeling to those who transgress against the law of God. So the second thing that happened here is they became self-aware. They became aware of themselves. They realized they were naked, and this awareness brought them shame. And not much in the human experience has changed since the beginning of time. And let me break it down. Think of man's general or common reaction to sin. Okay? Not the Christians, but think of man's common or general reaction to sin. I wonder what it's like to do something that I've been told is wrong. So I decide to expand my knowledge on it. 
I say, okay, that was wrong, but I'm going to find out why it's wrong. And so I partake in that sinful act. And it doesn't take long till the pleasure is replaced with guilt. And then I attempt to cover my guilt and shame by covering my sin. Is that not what Adam and Eve were doing here? They attempted to cover it. They didn't do a real great job, but they immediately attempted to cover or make a cover for what they had done. In this case, they sewed fig leaves. And when God started walking through the garden, they realized that this wasn't going to be enough. So they went and hid themselves amongst the trees. Like Adam and Eve, we often don't do a good job covering our sin. And so we try make it less glaring by dumbing it down or making it less significant. Is that not our common reaction? That's the common reaction. Not the right reaction, but that's our common reaction. Did God know where they were all the time? Yes. Did God know what they had done? Yes. Did God eventually find them? Yes. Did they confess their sins? No. <laughs> Who are you more afraid of trying to please this morning, God or man? God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? And what did Adam say? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I had sinned. No, that's not what he said. That's what I thought he had said, but that's not what he said. He said, I was afraid because I realized I was naked. He didn't admit to sinning. He's like, I'm not going to tell God that I ate of that fruit. Okay, so if, as long as God doesn't know I ate the fruit, uh, I'm just going to tell him, you know, I, I hid because I was ashamed of being naked. And God then said, well, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of that tree? I told you not to. Because <laughs> God knew if he didn't eat of that tree, he would still be innocent. And he still would, would not have these feelings. And so he said, well, um, Anyway, and Adam said, yes, I, I did it. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I should have listened to you. Please forgive me. Is that what we read? No. And this is typical human experience. That woman that thou gavest me, she, she was to blame. She gave me that fruit, and I did eat. And so God said, well, he went to Eve and said, well, what, what hast thou done? And he, she said, that snake over there, he beguiled me, and I did eat. And no one took the blame. That's typical human experience. Not right, but typical. When our sin is discovered, self likes, up, likes to jump up and down shouting, it wasn't my fault. We want someone to blame. I'll blame my preacher. I'll blame my past. I'll blame my parents. I'll blame my upbringing. I know all too well how hard it is just to admit I failed and leave it at that. And we have a really difficult time doing that. I failed, <laughs> and that's, that's how it was. I don't have to blame anyone else. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God knows everything we have done. He knows everything we plan to do. He not only knows and sees our action, he knows and sees our thoughts. And those are far off. How many of you believe this? A good many of you. Maybe you say, well, I don't hide my sins from God. I tell him everything. I'm aware that God knows my sins, so I tell God everything. Okay? Okay. What if I told you that there's tremendous power in bringing your faults to light before men? I think this is something we struggle with as a whole. 
as bringing our faults to light before men. <laughs> We're afraid what man will say about us, what man will think about us. Maybe they'll lose respect for me. It's a true, it's a true thought. Is it possible that we've been led to believe a lie? I would dare to venture that it's not only possible, it's probable. Do you know what probable means? Probable in plain English, likely to be the case or to happen. What lie have we been led to believe? Well, like I said a while back, not much has changed from the beginning. The lie that we've been told is sin doesn't bring death. Have you been told that lie? Sin doesn't bring death. Because that's, that's what Satan told Eve in the garden. Thou shalt not surely die. Had she believed that she would die, do you think she would have ate the fruit? If you believed that you were going to die when you sinned, would you sin? Hmm? How many of you like dying? No, I... If, if I believed that if I sinned, that I would die, I wouldn't sin. But we believe that, well, I'm not going to die, so I can sin. We've been led to believe a lie. Would we find sin way less attractive if the wages were paid immediately? <laughs> Maybe so. The one thing I gleaned over studying Ecclesiastes for a week was this, Ecclesiastes 8.11, because sentence against evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is full set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. You've probably heard me say it before. Delayed judgment does not equal no judgment. Delayed judgment does not equal no judgment. There will be a time of judgment. I would venture to gather to say that it would be better to face judgment today than when we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible is very plain. It says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so doth death pass upon all men, for all have sinned. Let's for a moment go back to Genesis 2, verse 17. What does God say in Genesis 2.17? But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof, Thou shalt surely die. What is that day? Was that a thousand years? Was that a, a really long time? Okay, let's go to Genesis 5, 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Okay, how's that possible? In the day that you eat of that, you shall surely die. And yet Adam went on to live 900 plus years. Well, did God lie to him? Not at all. He died spiritually. What's worse, spiritual death or physical death? Spiritual death. That day they ate the fruit, they died spiritually. There's no doubt that Adam lived for a long time after he sinned. So is God referring to physical death? Not at all. I guess it's possible that eventually... Death entered the world because of sin. Um, and so he may have been referring to both. But primarily on that day, he was referring to a spiritual death. Turn with me to Romans 8, 6. And Bradley said something, well, we want to give Dave his proper time. I have a certain amount of notes here. They are limited, but I plan to get to the end of them. So if we go over, uh, we go over. Romans 8, starting at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I wanted to insert a verse here from 1 Timothy 5, 6. It says, she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she yet liveth. Okay? Do we understand that? 
Okay, let's continue reading. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are of the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. If so be, the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelleth in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye after the flesh shall... For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I wonder if part of the reason we find it so hard to live in victory is because we think it takes a lot of sin to separate us from God. Have you been led to believe that? It ta- it's going to take a lot of sin to separate us from God. For Adam and Eve... They directly disobeyed one of God's commandments. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Don't touch it. They touched the fruit. They each had a bite. Maybe consumed the whole thing. This was one act of disobedience, and they suffered terrible consequences because of it. They were expelled from the garden. Weeds, childbearing, and other hardships awaited them, all because of a single act of disobedience. I was talking to Ralph Landis last week, and he said, we must remember that every sin has consequences. Well, we live in what some call the day or age of grace. What does that mean? Does this mean that we live in a time where God simply overlooks our sin? No, that's not what it means. Deliberate disobedience to the commands of God separates us from God, no matter how big or how small. When we are separated from God, it becomes impossible for our carnal man to please God then. And then we have struggles. To live after the flesh simply means that we do what we want to do in spite of what God would have us to do. So in order for us to truly live, we must through the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. And when we are more concerned about pleasing man than pleasing God, this will never happen. So let's move on to the positive part. Light produces life. Light produces life. In the natural world, plants do a whole lot better outside in the sunlight than they do in your closet. Correct? So light produces life. It's no different for us as Christians. Proverbs 28, 13 He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The devil has made us afraid to bring our sins to light, and it's not because of what God will think of them, it's because what man will think of them. You realize that? We are afraid to bring our sins to light because of what man will think of us. Proverbs says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. And if you're between the age of 10 and 18, I want to impress upon you the freedom of living in the light. When your sins are exposed, confessed, and forsaken, there is freedom and life. The temptation is to tell ourselves, well, if I confess my sins before God and man, man will think less of me. It is possible that man will think less of you. Who cares? God wants you to be his child, and God will think more of you. What does man have to offer? God is preparing you a mansion in heaven. What is man preparing for you? God is willing to share his inheritance with you. What does man have to offer? God wants to give you life. What does man have to offer? So why do we try so hard to please man? It's our carnal nature. John 1, 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Where do people go when they want to hide something? 
to the dark. <laughs> we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is men who are afraid of the light. I thought that was a pretty profound quote. We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark, but the real tragedy of life is men who are afraid of the light. John 3.16, good verse there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of, the, of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifested, that they are wrought in God." Satan brings death, darkness, and sorrow. Jesus brings life, light, and hope. Which would you rather? I'm struggling a little bit this morning to portray the freedom of a life where the light of God has shone into our hearts and made us free. But that is true freedom. Think of the, the things you're scared of as what people don't know. The things that people already know, you no longer have to fear. Right? What are they going to do about it? They already know. Ephesians 5.8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Christ's light shines into our hearts, and often it reveals things that we need to correct and make right. We have a choice then to wake out of our spiritually dead state and allow Christ's light to give us life. Light is also used synonymously with truth. And we could read the above verse like this. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the truth. For what doth make manifest is truth. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee, and there it breaks down a little bit, is life. John 8, 31. Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I have a couple verses in closing. Luke eleven thirty three. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they may come, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thy eye is single, thy whole body is also full of light. But when thy eye is evil, thy body is also full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no dark part, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of the candle doth give thee light. If you are bound by the guilt and shame of sin, God has something better to offer you. 1 Peter 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What a blessing. Let us walk in the light. Lord.